Thank you, Pastor Brian. Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you. I went on a trip to Israel, a very inspiring trip. I got to go with friends here from Fellowship Bible Church as well as Topeka Bible Church. Jim Congdon and I led a trip. What a great time. So I'm energized. I'm ready to jump into the Word of God with you today. And I also wanted to say Happy Father's Day to all you dads here. Uh, It's a blessing to uh, celebrate this day with you. We're going to learn about our Heavenly Father. And what our Heavenly Father is doing when we don't understand what's going in our lives. How do you handle it when the wicked are winning? When things aren't going as you want them to go? And actually against what you even prayed for? You know, this is the picture as we look around in our world today. As we look at humanity and we see poverty or sickness or suffering or persecution and even death. And we pray and we demand, God, do something about this. This is not fair. This is not right. And and sometimes God doesn't answer those prayers the way we want them to be answered. Well, this tension is detailed in the book of Habakkuk. He was a man of God who looked at his own country and he said, God, correct them. They've walked away from you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who brought us out of Egypt into this promised land. Because Israel at this time, probably around that 607 BC time, were walked away. They had walked away from God. They've turned their back on him. They worshiped other gods. And so, so Habakkuk cries out, God, restore them. Bring them back into your fold. They've wandered. But God didn't answer it the way that Habakkuk wanted it. So really, as you look at it, and if you have your Bibles, open up to this book. It's in the Old Testament. It's only three chapters long. If you've gone through our uh, journal this week, you've gone through the whole book. And it's a great book to have your devotions with. And uh, But if you don't know it, look it up and then you, you know, probably have to look in the, in the table of contents to find it. But as we open to that, you know, we're really going to, really going to have to look at this because this is a major hurdle. This is a mountain as people are thinking about faith in the world today. As a matter of fact, as I present the gospel to people one-on-one, this is perhaps the greatest pushback to the gospel. Because people go and they may give a, they give a, um, an argument like this. I look around and I see, uh, I see sickness in this world today. I see things that aren't fair. I see people being exploited. I see bullies in, in, in governments. And, and it's not fair. Good people are, are really taking the brunt of what bad people are doing. What bad things are happening to good people doesn't make sense. How can a God of love allow this? Those aren't normal, good questions as we look at this world because it is unfair and God's not going to just turn his eye to wickedness he's going to give us a structure to work with it and I don't know what it looks like in your life it may be your family life that something's happened to you that wasn't fair whether it was abuse whether it was desertion or maybe it's your job where you're always getting passed over and you're putting in all the time you're doing all the work but someone else gets the promotion and it's not fair Some of you live in that world. Some of you haven't quite experienced it yet. Well, stack this one up in your memory. Because if you live in this world, and if you care for people in this world, you're going to be associated with those who have been hurt, who have been suffering because of injustice, because something's not right, because the wicked are winning. 
And so we're called into this. By the way, let me just go through some key reactions when the wicked are winning. What happens within us? Well, what happens when the wicked are winning is I get angry. You and I get angry. We wonder what in the world is going on here. God, do you see this? God, do you hear us? God, are you, are you going to do something about this? That's exactly what Habakkuk said. Look with me in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2. This is his complaint. He goes, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. You see, he didn't understand. And so he had a bunch of questions and he had a bunch of concerns and he gave his complaint to God. And by the way, what should you do when you have questions and complaints? Go to God. He can handle it. He can handle so many times you want to just clean up our lives before we talk to God. And God is to take you as you are. God sees you for who you are. So it's best to just call it and to go to him. God, I don't understand that. That's exactly what Habakkuk did. God, it doesn't make sense. And he had an assumption that since he felt God didn't see him, didn't hear him or wasn't acting, that God didn't care. And that we got to be careful with God on things we don't understand. We need to be slow to assume things about God and even slower to conclude things about God. Habakkuk asked that question. And so is there anything wrong with getting angry? Well, anger is an emotion. And I can't tell you don't get angry because you will get angry. What do you do with anger? And I would just say, I don't think it's the solution I don't think it's a solution for ultimately dealing with the reality of the wicked winning in this world right now. It's not. Why? Because it's really hard to contain anger. You and I have a small capacity to handle anger because anger, here it is, anger leaks. It does. That's why if you have a really bad day at work, you go home and you kick the cat. (laughs) because the cat didn't do anything. It just was in your way. It it tends to spill. You can be impatient with your kids. You can be sharp with your wife and you can, you can do all these things because something unrelated, because you don't have the capacity to handle anger. It's that's, that's why we're called to be slow with anger in Proverbs 16, 32. It says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. That's why Proverbs says in chapter 22, verse 24, don't make friends with someone who's angry, lest you learn his ways and so ensnare your life. Anger can ensnare your life and you don't want to be an angry person. I just realized I'm 49 right now. And the more things I go through in life that are unfair, the more anger I can stack. And I have this fear of being 80 years old and just being an angry man, you know? Just being that guy who goes, you know, in my day, you know, it's so much better. And, you know, just having that perspective in life, folks, you can't afford to be an angry man or an angry woman. You can't. That's not the solution when the wicked are winning. What's another response we can do? Well, we can get even. Revenge is an option. And many of us are bent on revenge when something unfair happens to us. Because as Habakkuk asked this to God, God said, okay, I'm going to do something about it. You wouldn't believe it if you saw it or if it was told to you. 
but I'm raising up the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, and they're going to come and they're going to sweep away Israel. And Habakkuk goes, what? Or as Gary Coleman would say, what'd you talk about, Lord? (laughs) What are you doing here? What are you doing here? You're using people who are more wicked than us. Do you really know how wicked they are using them to punish us? Well, look what he says in verse 13. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O rock, have established the Chaldeans or the Babylonians for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? He made the comparison and we can make that comparison too. Lord, I'm not perfect, but I'm a whole lot better than them. And that's exactly what Habakkuk had done. Look at that. We're not perfect, Lord. I just wanted you to do kind of a a light correction. Don't bring the hammer down on us. And, you know, he was looking to get even with his own people to bring them back. We can be bent on revenge when something unfair happens to us. But I want to ask the question again. Is revenge the solution when the wicked are winning? And the answer is no. Here's why. Because when you've been hurt, you really can't be just and you really can't be fair in exacting a judgment. It starts when you're little. Like when me and my brother are playing around and we were boxing with pillows, we'd grab my mom's decorative pillows. She still doesn't know about that, but we'd grab her decorative pillows and we'd punch with which each other. And every once in a while, I'd do this side punch, okay? And the pillow would leave my hand and the fist would hit my brother's face. And he'd go, come on, did that hurt? You want to know how that makes you feel? You know, and my brother was four years older than me, would punch me, Okay. Well, he hit me a whole lot farther, harder than I hit him. And then I want to go, well, you want to know how that hurts? See, it's a cycle. And it keeps going. When you're married and, and you're not sensitive to your spouse, and they go, well, I'm going to get you back. Silent treatment. Whoop. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't work. Trust me, it doesn't work. And it starts a cycle of you did this to me, I'm going to do that to you. Nations have done that. Families do that. People do that. People try to get even. It's not a good solution. It's not working in our world today. Remember the movie Princess Bride? How many of you have seen that movie? One of my favorite all-time movies. The, the player in that, the character Anigo Montoya, one of my favorite guys, but one of his top lines is, Hello, my name is Anigo Montoya. You killed my father now. Prepare to die. His life was bent on revenge because his father was killed by a six-fingered man. And so he was in search for the six-figured man to exact uh, revenge on his life. Well, the, play, the, uh, the man who played Inigo Montoya is Mandy Patankin. And Mandy actually, uh, as he looked at the success of Princess Bride over the years, said, actually, that's the one that gets all the press. But the one that really he loved the best about that whole movie is this. He says that, and this is after he killed the six-fingered man. That player, Nigo Montoya, said, I've been in the revenge business for so long that now that it's over, I don't know what to do with my life anymore. You know, that's how we can be when something unfair happens to us. We can be so bent on revenge that it revenge becomes our identity. And when we finally get it, 
We don't know what to do with our lives. Revenge can be your purpose, and that's not God's purpose for you. We can get even. We can also get out. We can get out of the situation, and many of us flee to get out of those environments where people have turned their back on God. Look at what um, Habakkuk says about the Chaldeans. He says he brings them up with a hook. He, they drag people out with their nets. He, they gather them in their dragnets, so they rejoice and is glad, and therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Strong, strong words. But they're built on the assumption that God can't use evil people. That evil, for some ways, is outside of God's control. And that he's basically silent and passive with it. And so, therefore, where there's evil, flee it! Get out of the way! Run for your lives! Well, what's the problem with that? What's the problem with fleeing all those environments that you perceive are evil. Well, the light of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, are absent in those environments. And especially as we as the church flee those environments that are wicked and that have turned their backs on God. As long as we stay out of those and disengage from those, it's exactly what the wicked want. Because the wicked want to snuff out truth. They want to snuff out righteousness. They want to snuff out God. And so we're called to be the church and engage those environments and go to those places. It's why we show up in the dark places of life. We're not called to get out. It's easier to get out, but God continues to work. And see, through all these reactions, whether I want to uh, get angry or whether I want to get even or whether I want to get out, God is calling us into something. He's calling us into a deeper faith. And that's why he's going to ask Habakkuk. Habakkuk, in each of the times that he responded to Habakkuk's claim or complaints, he's going to say, Habakkuk, are you willing to trust in me or are you going to turn from me? And when the wicked are winning, that's our question. Are we going to trust in God or are we going to turn from God? Most, most when they look at the evil and the wickedness of this world will turn from God. God is giving us an invitation through this prophet's message today to trust in. And here's the reality. God wastes nothing. He wastes no one. He wastes. It's all part of his plan. The wicked and the righteous. He sees the beginning as he sees the end. And in his great and marvelous stories, you read it from the scriptures and you continue living it through the Holy Spirit in your own lives right now, you're going to realize that things are going to happen in your lives that you don't understand, that you can't figure it out. But that's why God is God. There are going to be things that he knows that you don't. And God is going to call as a heavenly father, his His people and his person of Habakkuk to be okay with this and to trust in him during times when it just doesn't make sense. There's three reasons God gives Habakkuk why he can trust in him rather than turn from him. And here it is. Here are some of them. Uh, Why is it better to trust in God when the wicked are winning? Well, frankly, because God sees it far more clearly than we do. Look with me in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. 
He says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize the dwellings, not their own. You see, God sees it. And God was using the Babylonians to do that. You know what? We can look at the scriptures and we can look thousands of years later and go, ah, that's what God was doing. As he hauled them away, they kept them intact. And though that the group he kept intact would actually return to go and rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls and ultimately be the return of God's people to the land. We can see that now, but Habakkuk couldn't see it then. We can see it because we have hindsight and we could say this is what God was doing there. Do you know? In a hundred or two hundred years, you're going to probably see that about your own life right now and things you didn't understand. God's going to explain it to you. I believe God knows. He sees it far better than you. Are you okay with him seeing more than you see, understanding more? I mean, that's why we literally worship him because he can. I mean, there's a lot of talk about Jesus being my best friend. And yes, he is a friend and he is a great friend, but he's my God. And I worship him. His ways are better than my way. We need to be okay because God sees it far more clearly. Secondly, God's going to judge it far more consistently than we ever could. Look with me in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. As God responds to to, uh, Habakkuk, he says... Uh, about the about the Babylonians, he says, behold, their soul or his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. What's God saying by that? Underline that verse, by the way, if you have something handy to underline it. The righteous shall live by his faith. God is saying whether Babylonian or whether Israel, they're all called to faith. Did you realize this phrase The righteous shall live by his faith is used three times in the New Testament. Paul uses it in Romans chapter one. He uses it in Galatians chapter three. And the writer of Hebrews writes it in, in Hebrews chapter 10. And it's all to show us, boy, Jew or Gentile, we're all brought in by faith. God's no respecter of persons. He judges consistently. And we need to know this about God. He is very consistent on how he judges because it's not about like us especially when the wicked are winning. God's not bribed. He's not wined and dined and then expected to have to show up and to give a a special favor or a wish. He owes nothing to anyone. He takes no bribes. He laughs at pride. He laughs at perks and privilege and position and power. All those things that we step on others or we delineate ourselves from others to get something special. And the reality is we're all accountable to him. Every one of us is accountable to God. We like to be accepted by God. We just don't want to be accountable to God. And because God is both grace and truth, we're not only accepted, but we're accountable to him. And that's why Paul says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And for those who know him, we will say, yes, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord. And for those who don't, they will go, oh, no, Jesus Christ is Lord. But we're all accountable to him. And God is consistent. We can trust him. 
Not only does he see it far more uh, clearly and judge it far more consistently, he will judge the wicked far more completely than we ever could with revenge. Look at Habakkuk 2.20. This is the last words God makes to Habakkuk. He says, but the Lord, I am in my holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. How could he say this? Because he went through in, in chapter two, he just went, I will judge this and this and this and this and this completely. Look at how he does it. The word is woe. Underline the word woe in chapter two with me. Starting in verse six, he says, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. Boy, the, the, the issue there is greed. Do you know how much greed has been used to step and trample on others? Do you know how greed was used to compr- compromise character and justice? You know how it's being used in our world today? Who, will, who sees that? Who will judge it? Answer, God. God will do that. He sees it. Look with me in verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. Boy, is there exploitation? Is there extortion in our world today? Absolutely. Not only in our country, but outside of our country. You do this for me, I'll do that for you. Uh, Picking on helpless people because there's bullies. Who sees it? Who sees the fatherless? Who sees those who are in poverty because someone is getting rich off of them? God does. Will God judge them? Yes, completely. Look with me in verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Violence. Do you see how much violence is in our world today? Does it break your heart when you see civilians being caught between wars between different nations and the innocent dying because of it? Yeah, it ought to break your heart. Who sees violence? God does. Who sees those who have been robbed or or pillaged or beaten up or murdered? God does. Who will they be accountable to? God. Look with me in verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. This is immorality. Who sees immorality in our world today? That breaks the heart of God. Here, drunkenness is mentioned, but also sexual immorality. Do you know how many people are abused sexually in our world? The trafficking of children. Who sees that? Even the stuff that I'm made aware of just sickens me. Who will judge that? God will. Completely. And look with me in verse 19. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake to a silent stone, arise. Who sees idolatry? Does God see it? Does God care that we'd rather be in love with our things than the creator of all things? Yes, God sees that but does god see it when we'd rather spend it all than give any to advance his kingdom who sees that god will judge that completely so we can trust in him see that's what chapter three is it's habakkuk's move habakkuk's move from god why to even though i don't know why i'll trust in you look with me in verses 17 through 19 of chapter three, last verses of the book of Habakkuk. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. 
the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He give he makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. I like that he included that. You know what he's saying when he said to the choir master with stringed instruments? It's not just like, you know, an asterisk. It's like print this one. We're going to use this as worship. And that's what God is inviting us into when the wicked are winning. Can you worship him when things don't make sense? If God now took Habakkuk and took him up to the high place, the thing that became a stumbling stone for his faith actually became the thing that God gave him to to take perspective. That God sees it more clearly. He judges it far more consistently and far more completely than he ever could. Sing this, church. Now, I'm kind of thankful on Father's Day that we didn't go, okay, there's nothing with a blossom and the vine is producing nothing and olives have nothing and the herds are all decimated and, uh, okay, we'll praise the Lord. No, we don't always come to him like that. But you know what? There's no place. There is no situation, no circumstance that you are in that God doesn't know about. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 56, it literally talks about God keeping a book of our lives. That even catching his tears for us. And that's, a, that's more of a cultural thing that when someone died, those who mourned him would catch their tears and fill a small cup of their tears to show the value of that person. This is your heavenly father. This is the God of Habakkuk. This is God of us. And so it's better to trust in God because of these realities. And by the way, excuse the balloon as it descends. There we go. There you go. Merry Christmas. Oh, happy Father's Day. This is a call to action. It's a call to action. You see on the bottom of your notes, after those three things about God, there's, there's an invitation for all of us. Since God sees it far more clearly, we all need to trust in God's vision for our lives. And it may be a different vision than you and I are crafting. Maybe a little different dream than you and I. And so many of us just say, this is my dream. God, you bless it. You do what I want you to do. And as long as you're doing what I want you, that's not God. That's a slave. And God will be no one's slave. And so we've got to allow God and his vision to be moved in our lives. The American dream forces God to be obedient to us. And that's not biblical. It's certainly not godly. That's not our heavenly father. That's our own making. That's our own God. And he will not do that. We've got to trust in his vision for our lives. Secondly, since God's going to judge things far more consistently than we can, we need to trust in God's faithfulness. The truth always wins. And guess what? Love always wins too. God is full of those two things. And we're part of his story. We've got to trust in his faithfulness. We can see it over and over in the, in the scriptures as we read it. We need to trust it as God continues to write his story in our lives. And finally, since God's going to judge it far more completely, we need to trust in his salvation. Folks, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. Because if we just turn it, instead of turning it on others, if we just look in the mirror we'd realize that God sees us far more clearly than we see ourselves. 
And you know what? We can compare ourselves, and I do that. I can compare myself with you and come out better because I determine the topics that I compare you with. And I can come out looking better than you in a lot of areas. And you could do the same against me. But the reality is God compares you to no one except his son, Jesus. And we all fall short of the glory of God. I mean, we're just not just a little bit so that going to church and being a nice person gets you in. We're knocked out. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. God sees that far more clearly than any of us can. We need to be okay with what God sees. And you know what? God's going to judge us far more consistently than we judge ourselves. We have a dog in the race. It's always going to be unfair. You're your greatest fan. So am I with me. We've got to trust God's objective justice and righteousness in our lives. And that means we all need him. We all need Jesus who lived a life we couldn't live, who died on a cross to pay a price we couldn't pay and who rose again the third day to secure for us eternal life. We all need him. It's not going to be your family background that gets you in. It's not going to be your good deeds outweighing your bad deeds. That's the great thing about grace. None of us deserve it, but all of us can have it because just as consistent as God was in his faithfulness to me and saving me, he can be consistent in anyone in this room who turns from their sin to trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Everyone in this room who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved because God's consistent. If it were up to me, if it were up to the New Testament church, Paul would have never believed. People wanted him dead. They wanted him snuffed out. But due to the grace of God, a sinner, the one chief of sinner, was saved because God's grace is consistent. Aren't you thankful for it? And finally, because God's going to judge it far more completely, I need to trust in God's salvation. And that's when you simply trust in the, in the grace of God. That's the cross right there. You may think of the cross as only a picture of God's love for you, that he would give up his life for you. It's a picture of God's justice, where God completely judged the wickedness in you and me. And he put it on his son, Jesus, and said, it's finished. I'm satisfied. It's enough. Jesus is enough. So that when you have him, you have everything. And when you don't, you have nothing. It's, it's that reality that we come to faith in. That God sees my life far more clearly. He, I am accountable to him. But he's also given me salvation. Look with me. Read with me. Verse 18. It says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. What's that thing? You just can't understand. What's that issue where the wicked are winning in your life? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a shift in your faith from turning away from God to trusting in God with that thing. And you all know what it is because it may be different in each of our lives. What's that one thing? Here's what I want you to say. I want you to say this phrase. I will trust in God. Would you say it with me? I will trust in God. When the wicked are winning in my life, here's the second phrase. I will wait for God. Say with me. I will wait for God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word taught us today to trust you and wait on you when the wicked are winning. When we don't know, when it doesn't seem fair, when our ducks aren't in a row, when we can't make sense of it. And so, Father, we do that. We turn from anger. We turn from revenge. We turn from getting out and retreating in order to trust you 
and wait for you. Lord, someday you will make sense out of everything because all things work together for the good of what you're doing in our lives. And it may not feel like good and it may not be good right now, but we trust you that you are working out your plan and we wait for you to act in this world and in our lives. We praise you for it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.